0: Here we go. So just pretend it's not recording. We're just having a conversation. And this is probably the podcast I will do that is most outside of my expertise. You guys are the farmers, and I am the doctor. I know very little about growing anything. And in fact, at our house, in the garden, I've completely subbed out all of that to my (laughs) wife and sister-in-laws. They do Almost all of the growing, and I kind of sit back, and they ask me what I want to grow, and I tell them, and then they do it, or maybe they don't. So
1: It's as tricky as medicine.
0: Really? Oh, yeah. Well, Rochelle, I call you patient zero, Mm -hmm. and most people have heard me talk about that, but now you're actually on the podcast. So this is Rochelle and Carrie Ziegler from Lone Tree Farms, and you guys I'm I'm going to breeze through your past so I can get to what yep. you're doing now. Is that okay? Yep. Absolutely. So Michelle is unbelievably sick for two decades?
1: Yeah. Uh, most of my adult life.
0: And the illness is pick a symptom and you had it. It was Correct. chronic sinusitis, it was severe anxiety, it was thyroid issues, it was chronic inflammation, chronic fatigue,
1: hormone issues, autoimmune. digestive issues
0: infectious disease that would not go away. It was all of them. And essentially, what you did, Carrie, was through your guys' research has led you to here to understanding that we can't heal unless we have food that is not poisoning us. And so you started your own farm. And I know that is a, we just flew past Hours and hours and hours of research and countless years of pain and frustration and tens of thousands of dollars of money in trying to fix yourself. Correct. And that might be on the shy end.
1: Probably.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But essentially that brought you to we have to start growing our own food. And you landed on beef. Was it by chance you landed on cattle or was that on purpose?
2: Well, beef's one of the largest proteins consumed by Americans. And my grandpa had had cows. I'd been around cows. They're kind of cool. We had the space to do it. Um, so we actually started with 10 chickens and two cows.
1: 10 chickens, I think four bred cows. And, and then we had, cows. what, five pigs maybe that first year. So we actually started with... with Three different animal proteins.
0: What year um, was this?
1: I believe the cattle we got in 2016. We started with four, four bred cows.
0: And this was right before you moved to the place that you are now?
1: Yep. Where we are currently was in 2018. So, so. you
0: were on a house that had fencing and everything for cattle.
1: Right. We lived on 40 acres. We put in the fencing so... The plan was always just to raise our own protein for our family. That was it.
0: And it wasn't just you, Rochelle, who were sick. Like, your whole family was sick.
1: Three kids. um, And so the bulk of it was myself and the three kids. um,
0: Yeah, so the motivation was maybe I can heal myself, but I can hopefully provide some sort of semblance of health for my kids. And we
1: definitely noticed with working with you – and when we were out in New Jersey, um, switching food for the kids made an enormous impact. So, we food did.
0: changed them more than it did you.
1: Correct. They were five and six, I think, at the time, and we would say at that point, with their symptoms, food change probably impacted eighty percent of the improvement.
0: And you did what? Like you
1: switched to all organic. So basically, minimize any processed foods, switch to an organic diet. Um, anything processed, which was very minimal, would be organic. And then really sourcing our proteins um, from an organic, grass-fed, pasture-raised, all the the key terms that I think we're going to dive into a little later.
0: Yeah, I want to get into those because it's hard um – Trusting those terms is an interesting thing. Mm -hmm. And, but so you guys had to trust those terms because you didn't have all of that at your fingertips. You had to get to the point to where you're growing enough things so where you can support yourself food wise.
1: Right. And I think then, I mean, a lot has changed in six years. The. Um, availability locally for those types of of proteins was very hard to find and so you know we are relying on grocery stores and their labels and that through you know that those stores it's very expensive so trying to get a variety of beef of pork of chicken it was expensive and so
0: and so in that I think it would be fair to say, most people don't know this about you, but it would be fair to say, so in that time where you're trying to heal with food, you're also becoming like an expert on food
2: fraud.
1: Oh, definitely. I I mean, I think uh, myself starting, because I was the one with the issues, I was educating myself on, you know, all aspects of health and food at any spare moment we had. Carrie probably not as much yet.
0: He wasn't as sick.
1: He, he was not as sick, and so sick. he would put in the work and kind of just do what I asked him mm-hmm. to. Um, it's when the farming began to grow that he really became passionate about regenerative farming, which is kind of what we have progressed into over the last you know two two to three years.
0: Yeah, which was, by the way, when Maddie and I were recently at your house, that was pretty cool when we were driving through your right. farm, and you're like, Carrie's getting all <laughs> nerdy about all these different kinds of things that are growing in his field that before, when you guys bought the land, it was chemically farmed for... It had
2: been chemically farmed for 52 years by the same family. Um, we went approximately three years before we would even consistently find earthworms. You'd go out and shovel for hours and not find them. So you couldn't grow a bug. So, no, we couldn't. there were times we couldn't grow weeds. Um, and we, yeah, that is, when we
1: built the house, the, the area that we cleared... We didn't plant, you know, a yard for two summers, and it was just dirt. Literally, weeds didn't grow. We didn't have a dandelion on 200 acres.
0: So, okay, I have a lot of patients who are are of similar mind, right? They've done a lot of research. They're, like, looking for land because they want to do some tiny form of this, and they're always, well, well, I can't go there. It's next to a chemical farm. I can't go there. It's been chemically farmed. Why didn't that that didn't scare you guys? You're like, this has been chemically farmed for 50 years. You have a chemical problem, have had right. that for forever. And you guys are like, yeah, all in. 180 acres?
2: We have 196 on our home farm.
0: 196 acres, chemically farmed, no big deal. We'll go fix it. Well,
1: I think, don't, not no big deal. <laughs> think it is a very big it's deal. It's a big deal. But why, did you, why didn't
0: you go, nope, not an option. we got to find something that hasn't been chemically farmed.
2: Because as we started doing the research, um, you kind of realize this is a journey. Yes, we went all organic in our diet, but we didn't do that cold turkey overnight. It was eliminate this product, replace it with organic, eliminate this product, replace it with organic. So as, as a kid, yes, having grown up on my grandparents' farm, I was aware of the farming, but I started to hear the words about the regenerative farming, the organic farming. What are these things? What are the practices of them? And you first
0: heard this through Zach Bush?
2: Um, I heard a lot of it through Zach Bush initially um, because I was listening to some of the health right, you know, posts and podcasts and things that he was doing. So I was hearing my farming practices, my food practices, are significantly impacting my body's ability to heal or get nutrient-dense food. So I started to see the equation and started listening and just listening to everything I could get my hands on and hear how How the journey would unfold and how you go from something that had been chemically based and really chemically addicted to those inputs. Uh-huh. Um, today's conventional farming with our Roundup Ready crops, um, with our genetically modified crops, they're literally addicted to the inputs that commercial farming puts into them or requires that they put into them to cause them to grow.
0: So what you're saying, like, this ground is so barren, it cannot grow anything without synthetic fertilizer and chemicals.
2: The, the, The soil has become so void of any life, be it nutrients, fertilizer, anything, it's become so void of anything natural that it's strictly a medium to hold a plant up that is then grown by these synthetic inputs that we put on them.
0: And you had a recipe that you felt confident in. I can go into this chemically farmed area, and I can turn it back around.
2: My confidence was larger than it should have been. (laughs) It it has been a struggle. If anybody knows you,
0: Carrie, that is not a surprise. I can do this. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) That's your motto. Many
1: times. Um,
0: (laughs) I'll figure it out. That's Carrie's motto, right?
1: Definitely.
2: it didn't perform, it didn't work, it didn't grow, it it didn't respond.
0: You said this year was the first year.
1: I think so, and I think to, to circle back to your initial, it's not a very, like, um, rosy answer. I think literally why we bought that land was I didn't want to move.
2: And it was it, right it, across it, the street. And straight. it was
1: literally a half a mile down the road. I don't think when we bought 200 acres, we considered – very much of this has been row crop for fifty years. We thought it's enough land, you know, we will expand, you know, have the potential to expand beyond anything we'll grow to. um, and that was about it. And so I think it was after we purchased it, we were like, oh man, we're gonna have to this soil needs massive healing if if we're gonna, you know, be able to raise the animals to produce the nutrition that we actually have a goal of doing. And so I think it was literally after we bought it that we thought about those things. So um, I don't think it should be a deterrent, though, for people. You can heal the soil.
0: I agree. Uh, Man, after watching what you've done with your farm, I don't even think it should should make someone flinch. Because, uh, well, one of the big reasons is the land that they're looking for is – Impossible to find. It, in well, this that's state. the other thing. You can't. There's, there's you, not a brown.
1: We are in the Midwest. That's if there's land available. That's what's being done with it. Correct. And so it. Right, it's and if you want reality. something that's
0: like not near a farm that's being sprayed and has been, you know, virgin soil, right. like you're gonna have to move to. You're gonna have to move out Texas.
1: of Texas. Exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's along with every other choice in life, pick your battles, and you've got to do the best with what's available. So yeah, if you're gonna live in Indiana. You're going have to have to make it work.
0: Well, what's unfortunate, it's not just Indiana. It's no, like absolutely. if you're living in Indiana, Ohio, Illinois, right. Kentucky, yeah. it, oh, the whole way down.
2: If exactly. there's farming, it's, it's been contaminated, you know, 7,500 years ago when conventional ag really started focusing on production ag, and this needs to be, you know, very profitable and very efficient, and we need to grow 200-plus bushels to the acre you know, when, when it became such a profit center, things really started to go downhill. Um,
0: because originally it was feed your family?
2: There was much more we need to feed our family and feed our community. Feed your family,
0: feed your community, and that's right. that. And it, the
2: quality mattered um, where now quantity matters. Um, and, and we do whatever it takes to grow the biggest, fastest, tallest, cheapest or the highest return to, to the, to the set profit centers that run it.
0: And that kind of gets into the, I don't want to say argument, heavy discussion <laughs> we had at your house. Because I was saying, hey, why don't you grass feed a cow, finish it with organic grain so you can get it to weight faster and maybe sell it at a lower cost so people could have, Afford an, a mostly grass-fed animal. Mm-hmm. Correct. And you kindly told me, that's stupid. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't work. There's no such thing as organic grain for animals. Why? Yeah.
1: There is, I, there, I'm getting
0: too far ahead of where we want to go. That but was a lot to unpack that in that, was. that one little statement. That was.
2: <laughs> well, there's a couple of silos of thought that I think if we if we help put some words or some topics and categories that may help us kind All of right. work yeah. through them.
0: Let's do that. Like okay. you were talking about the yeah. two categories. Let's, yep. let's do that.
2: Probably. I think we should maybe most clearly defend and identify them as a toxicity silo and a nutrition silo. I like your silo farmer <laughs> wordplay here. I don't even have but silos. by the <laughs> way. <boy. laughs> um, schools of thought. Um, and And, Organic, which is probably one of the most commonly recognized words today, falls in the toxicity side, not in the nutrition side. So when we start thinking about it in the farming respect, when we're talking about organic farming, we're talking about not applying chemicals, synthetic inputs. um, So it's a conventional ag. Grown free
0: from fertilizer, grown free from... Genetically modified, insecticides, species, right.
1: yeah, herbicides. Did, yeah. Who GMOs. controls that
0: label? Because that label's trademarked, right? I can't just slap, "Hey, this is organic Correct. honey" on it.
1: Correct. USDA. USDA um, regulates does that term. Regulate that. Which
0: that, the USDA is the United big States, umbrella yep,
1: department of agriculture, right? So, and that goes back
2: to part of the discussion and where we started. Why did we decide to grow our own food? Can you trust food labels? Can you trust regulatory entities? You can search any of these words and find a myriad of definitions. Some of them are regulated definitions, many of them are not. Which, so, good marketing means I stick something pretty on a box or pretty on a label that is a catchword people are familiar with, and they assume it to be a positive thing.
0: And you're saying there's loopholes around it actually being what the, you say it is?
2: I'm saying there's many loopholes. And that typically the larger the corporate organic, we'll call it, the more loopholes they have found or been allowed to have because they're large. And that that is what ultimately probably what drove us back to growing our own food is the certainty of knowing how was my beef, my pig, my chicken, my egg produced. And I know the loopholes that... I yeah,
0: didn't skip. This is why it's so important to know your farmer, right?
1: Right, and I think that was where we were, um, we weren't doing it for a profit, and so we weren't gonna cut any corners. And really, I got down to as we began researching how organic food is raised, how it's regulated um, from a farming aspect, just from looking into it ourselves um, to become certified organic or not. Um, the loopholes that you find out about were quite disturbing. And so so your,
0: your standards are higher than USDA organic? Uh,
1: uh, and you'll start to see the catchphrase beyond organic now. It's not a regulated term, but I think it is. Um, it sprung from the idea that people who were doing it um, for for the health of what they were producing realized they were doing more than what the USDA organic label represented. Um I've always been one to think cheap organic is cheap for a reason. Mm. And they are using all those loopholes to could produce you, a product and make a higher profit.
0: Could you give me an example? I, I, I th- well, let me give you an example of one that I know of. Yeah. So I can call wheat organic. And that means that you know, I didn't, it's non-GMO and I didn't spray it. However, once I pull it out of the ground... We call it organic, and I can dry it faster and put it on the shelf if I desiccate it with glyphosate. So you can get away with calling wheat organic yet still be sprayed with glyphosate to cause a, a drying agent to desiccate it. That was okay. one of the loopholes that, that um, oh, who's the doctor lady that was like the expert on glyphosate? I will think of her Do you know Spinette or um, what, sort of, what is her name? I'll try to look it up as you give me another example, but maybe Carrie, you can give me.
1: Well, and I'll, I'll, real quick, just before we go down the organic example, a big one too that I see a lot with people who are confused are non-GMO, which obviously non-GMO is non-genetically modified organism. A lot of people believe if I can't afford organic, I'll at least buy non-GMO because I don't want... This whatever they're referring to, sprayed with glyphosate. And that's where your, that idea that you just mentioned came in. Mm-hmm. Non-GMO products are some of the most heavily sprayed plant products with glyphosate because they use them as a desiccating agent. So desiccating agent is, say, non-GMO wheat or non-GMO cotton or non-GMO soybeans, they do not use glyphosate while the plant is growing because it would kill it. But you are going to harvest it. You spray it to the hilt with glyphosate to kill it, and then you harvest it.
0: So you're saying one of the most poisonous foods you could eat is something that has the non-GMO ladle right. on it. it.
1: they some of the most heavily sprayed glyphosate um, products out and there. And for people,
0: if you want to get deeper into glyphosate, uh, the doctor yeah. Stephanie Seneff. So she was Seneff, S-E-N-E-F-F. If you want to look at her research on glyphosate, that's it's a great paper. I've it, listened to it's pretty damning. And Dr. Bush has some really yeah. good Bush stuff on well. on glyphosate. So, so that's one of the sneaky ways around putting like you can put non-GMO, put a nice, cool-looking wrapper on this thing, and go buy that granola bar and right. think I'm doing better on this. And they'll even mark up money because people are going to buy that label,
1: right? And in the other aspect that kind of irks me from a farming perspective, because we really pride ourselves that we not only use organic, we use corn-free, soy-free, so a lot of those, those other products, but a lot of other, um, you know, more quote-unquote local farmers, not even just local to us, but nationwide, will say, you know, we, we raise regeneratively or we are grass-fed with non-GMO grain products. And people, you know, think, well, that's that's good. It's going to make it a little more affordable. But what you don't realize is they're kind of, yeah, greenwashing that non-GMO term when you are getting some of the most heavily sprayed grain products with glyphosate because it was non-GMO. And it's sprayed at the worst possible time because it's right before the plant's harvested.
0: Why is that the worst time?
1: just there's there's before like with a gmo product they're really spraying the soil mm. and so this is literally right on the plant they cut it they put it into whatever feed and the animal eats it almost directly it on the
2: green. Yeah. so the plant in some respect to A very small degree will metabolize some of this glyphosate. because it's alive when it got spread as it's processed through life.
1: This is just right on its as surface. It
2: desiccate the putting it on there a at dead the dead plant, very you just picked it to kill it. Here's a poison, so you still have residual basically on the wheat head, on the barley head, on the soybean, for example. And so, you have a lot more um, residual on the actual grain itself, which typically we or the animals consume.
1: So really with non-GMO is just so that people aren't fooled by that term, it's really just the seed that's not genetically modified is the only benefit. There is no um, pesticide benefit, lack of pesticide that people really think they're getting a non-glyphosate scribe thing. You're right. And they're not. And, and they're not.
0: Correct. So correct me if I'm wrong here, but there's three approved versions of genetically modified crops and this actually i learned from dr nicole who we had spent some time with out in new jersey Mm -hmm. and the genetically modified crop is you genetically modify soybean or whatever to um not die when you spray it with a poison so that's option one Mm -hmm. there's another option to genetically modify it to where when an insect bites it it lyses the insects inside, literally exploding the insect, killing it, so that they Correct. can't eat off of it. And then the yeah. third way is I'm going to genetically modify this so, soybean to grow bigger, faster, and look more beautiful. Right. right? These are our right. three different options, and we don't really have any good research behind what's long-term use of eating this. Is it? Is it going to cause any detrimental effects? Do you, have you run across anything?
1: No, and I'm not, I didn't look up specifically for GMO, but I did like with what's readily used with GMO things, which is glyphosate. They have had, there's very little study on glyphosate on our food. In fact, the government didn't start running any types of tests until 2018, Wait, wait. 2018. We've
0: been spraying this since 1996.
1: 1996, Roundup Ready crops. And so, and it wasn't until they were pressured. The pressure kind of didn't start till 2016. They promised to start doing it in 2017 and actually didn't do it till the first time in 2018.
0: So there's been a pesticide poison sprayed on arguably 100% of the food in this country.
1: Nearly. They right, it's 99%. They had difficulty finding food that did not have traces of glyphosate. And it hasn't been tested hasn't since been its t- origin. Levels haven't been tested on our food. Yeah. Like, how much of this are we consuming?
2: And, and part of that has to do with glyphosate being water-soluble.
0: Right, so so, it so some people don't know what that means. Tell them why is that, as, especially as a farmer, why is water-soluble insecticide so much more damaging than fat-soluble?
2: Yeah. So water-soluble, we had thought for a time that it would not, when we would spray it on the plant, it would not therefore become hazardous or harmful to the animal that ate it, to us as a you know
1: human. The soil it's hitting? Soil.
0: Right, so the hope, I think, was so that it won't cross the cellular membrane because it's water-soluble. Correct. It's not a fat-soluble thing because the cell membrane is that fat-soluble lipid layer. Yep. So that was the hope that it's not going to cross that lipid layer
2: what i just heard zach bush say yesterday in a a thing i was listening to is that 80 percent of indiana's water bodies of water have now been basically classified as unsafe to be in because of the glyphosate um, content in them wonderful water soluble it can travel through the rain it can travel through the water tables it can travel through you know water erosion and soil erosion and things like that but gets in then our rain cycles. And so though maybe a farmer doesn't apply glyphosate on his property, because it's now water-soluble, it's, it, it, it's basically in all of our water. So therefore, it tests very high in all of our foods because of all of our products are grown in
1: water. I think it, you'll, you might remember, was it a CDC study that just came out last month or so, 80% urine samples mm. taken? I think it was the CDC that didn't. I could be wrong. But they found 80% of um, children to adults had um, glyphosate in their urine.
0: Which we don't know we what level is toxic. Right. We have no idea which level is acceptable. Yeah. It's just a random, we don't know.
2: Well, You just recently, Rochelle, read a study on honey and how much.
1: Honey, they in that when they finally have started to test our food, um, Obviously, um, it is affecting honeybees to a a detrimental um, extent, but honey generally has 2 to 10 times the allowable amount in the EU. So the EU does regulate this. Um, We don't in the United States, but our honey here in the United States had 2 to 10 times the allowable levels. In Iowa, it was over 10 times. You think you're in the heart of glyphosate usage there in, you know, corn and soybeans. And so I had over 10 times what's allowed in the, honey. in the honey.
0: See, this is the really frustrating thing for a lot of people. They're like, I'm eating good. I'm eating honey. Right. I'm eating organic this, organic that. And the reality of it is, yeah, but it's all, unfortunately, not what it used to be. It's all been contaminated in some way, shape, or form.
1: Which I was listening to a podcast by Nicole yesterday in, um, It was on, you know, the health of our soil. And she said so a lot of the arguments then are why eat organic. Right. Because you want to be like, well, let's just eat cheeseburgers and Cheetos and who cares? You know, glyphosate is something that's because it's been so massively used worldwide, especially in the United States. It is difficult to find anything without it. Obviously, organic, it is not being sprayed on directly. But she had said, too, there are over 262 other approved chemicals that mm-hmm. we spray on our food. And so when you do eat organic, you are getting a much, much lower amount of those toxic chemicals versus conventional. So there is still an argument um, for organic, um, even though, you know, we just kind of painted a grim picture. Yeah.
0: Yeah. My, I have another argument for that, too, and it's like everybody has the ability to to detoxify their body. We do it every yep. day, all day. I have yep. so many people ask me, hey, should I do a liver detox? I'm like, well, you're doing one right now. <laughs> but, yeah, you should promote your body's detoxification pathways. The amount of toxicity you put in your bucket matters. That's why you eat Absolutely. it. Because if you're going to eat this honey that's 10 times the amount, right. and then you go over and eat this non-organic honey that's 50,000 times the amount. That matters.
1: Right, it does. It's a debt. It does.
0: And that's kind of part of what you're talking about with these two breakouts. So organic is talking about toxicity. It has nothing to do with nutrient density. However, it could be nutrient dense, but that's you you don't know.
1: The term in and of itself is not representing nutritional load. It is simply indicating the toxic load that was not allowed to be placed on that plant.
0: And so, USDA organic would be the highest label of organic that we can achieve.
1: That's regulated. Yep. That is regulated. Right. And I think, I don't know if we want to circle all the way back to your very original question the example that I think I find interesting that you found with the loopholes for organic. With us, we have organic beef, and so we do feed them a lot of hay. And this was the loophole you came across. What is it? With with hay.
2: So probably four years ago, I was at a grazing conference because you're learning how to efficiently feed these animals. And hay, obviously, is one of the grass products we feed.
0: Yeah, so hay is just grass you let grow tall, harvest it, let let it dry out.
2: Yep, we allow it to dry so that we can store it and then feed it in the winter. And so, one, I was talking through a farmer who was also at this, conference who had been recently talking to his certification board his organic certification board and he said you know the good thing that is hay is really short this year my certifier told me that if i inquired with three of my historic providers for organic hay and they could not provide me organic hay that i could then feed conventional hay while keeping
0: my organic label
2: while keeping my organic status yeah Similarly, we have found, like for medications or treatment of animals, you know, we would say no antibiotic use. You know, the, the myriad of things, dewormers are a big one. Using like an ivermectin dewormer or something like that. It's very clear in the print that unless you, you know, you're discouraged from using that, unless you have a case of worms or something that you have a hard time getting under control, you've tried your own organic methods, they're not working, then you can default back to that.
0: And maintain organically. maintain
2: organic, yeah. And so, and the certifiers are different, and it seems as though the certification standards are getting more and more lax.
0: So is this like a guy that drives around to certified farms and just checks up and says, hey, how are you guys doing? Mm-hmm. Or is it just like,
2: oftentimes, I got the
0: label, so you get checked up and again, never?
2: Oftentimes it is based on the quality of your bookkeeping. You're the bookkeeper. So what you write down, they'll review. And whether you did or didn't do that practice. It's
0: on the very honor system.
2: Very subjective.
0: So what are the things that you do above and beyond? So if we're talking or beyond organic, yeah. what makes your so cow? P- why really jumps why in. would I buy your cow that's completely grass-fed mm-hmm. as opposed to this other guy down the street who says his is grass-fed? What's the difference between grass fed, grass finished? What what's the difference between your grass and his grass? Correct. There's a lot there too. Yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <I just laughs> because the grass fed, grass finished, very few of those terms are regulated.
1: None of those terms are regulated. So none of those terms. And they so were they were, I think, until twenty sixteen. They deregulated the grass fed term. So there is no regulation. Are you glad of,
0: that there's no regulation?
1: You know, I don't know, because I think, yeah, the what we just went over with the organic term, it's very watered down at this point. And so I think the USDA organic label fools a lot of people. Um, yes. And so... But but the grass fed label now because literally anyone can put it on their product is as obviously as... fooling people too.
0: Right. So, so I can go to Walmart and see grass fed burgers right. and go, all right, this and is the, good. How they, much of that was grass fed?
1: Right. Because virtually every cow in America eats grass. It is fed grass, grass. at grass. some point yeah. in their life during the
0: winter or during the summertime.
2: It truly drives Man. you back to you need to know your farmer and and yeah. how your farmer is producing the food that. Personally,
0: and you case. guys allow people out to your farm right
2: we do yeah.
1: absolutely anytime but yeah. i think other than knowing your farmer you have to be educated you have on, to know the right
2: questions to ask
1: on what you want mm-hmm. correct
2: because there is there's a continuum of these things and we're not to say that you know we just want you to make an educated decision don't assume that non-gmo means no glyphosate because that's not correct so know the questions to ask, educate yourself so that when you start talking to a farmer about organic or regenerative farming or find a farmer who will educate you.
0: Yeah, somebody who's pretty open.
2: Yeah, you know what? We, We spend a lot of time educating our customers, consumers. Hey, organic is good, but probably not enough. We're talking void of toxins and organic. Now, how do we transition to nutrient? Positive, nutrient dense. How do we get those things into those into our meats, into our proteins? Um,
1: which I think there's where you were going. One, it's that second category that we talked about, Nutrition. but also where we get into I think how we are are different, different. or beyond um, what a label may say. I think with beyond the organic label, I mean we would follow all of those guidelines without the loopholes. Again, I'm we're doing this because Cause I'm feeding this product to myself and my kids and so I'm not cutting corners to save money. We're not giant production. And so
0: And that's because you understand as soon as a cow starts eating a non herbivore diet, what happens to that cow?
1: Oh right. That that'll go into the nutrition side, right? When right. you start this is feeding, stuff that
0: I had no idea. Right. That you're like, no, I will not eat a cow that's eating corn and soy because of this, 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 and this. Well, we and, explain that and also, Carrie, maybe you can get into, because you've seen it, I don't think people understand what conventional farming animals actually eat. Because you told me that, and I was kind of shocked. You're like, yeah, they eat like Lucky Charm boxes.
2: There's a lot of food waste, restaurant waste bakery, waste. So there's a lot of discarded produce, things like that, oftentimes plastic containers included that will go through grinding systems and then will be introduced back into feed CAFOs and things like that where they're feeding. You know, your local farmer who's raising 20 cows may not have access to that feed, but the corporate things definitely do. The Walmarts of the world in the, in the larger... Grocery entities, as they're composting or, or, you know, getting rid of these foods, many of those things are going back into an animal feed of some nature.
0: So when I go buy Walmart ground beef, yep for five twenty-five a pound, that's probably what it is right now, isn't it? Yep. I, I don't, I don't know, know how much it costs. <laughs> <laughs> You're I likely eating an animal that ate plastic that ate. A whole bunch of antibiotics, we haven't even talked about that. And the concept I'm trying to get across to people is you guys understand this. You are what you eat is not true. You are what you eat, eats, Correct. is true. Correct. And that's where you guys were at. And it was like I'm not eating a cow Correct. that ate this kind of diet because I know that kind of diet determines what's the what's in the makeup of the meat of the cow and then that's going to be in me.
1: Well, in in conventionally fed beef, um, there's a reason your mainstream medical um, professionals would say you know red meat is not it's healthy bad. for you. You know it causes you know heart issues um, because conventional. And you red would agree with that, wouldn't you? Absolutely does. I would agree with that. Yes. Um, if your only access is to conventional beef, yeah, I would cut it out of your diet.
0: And I would go a little bit nerdier on that and say. You're arguing that conventional beef is going to start the inflammatory cascade Absolutely. that is.
1: Yes. Absolutely.
0: Interleukin 6, prostaglandin 2, I'm using big words, but all of these things that generate, we know, cause heart
2: disease. Right. As soon as you introduce grain into that process, and Rochelle will explain some of the specifics of that, it changes because many grass fed beef are finished on grain in the last 30 to 90 days. To get them fat. Because it's really hard to get fat when an animal only eats grass its entire life. But as soon as you make that grain conversion, the the negative things multiply off the charts.
1: A little bit of that is uh, cows are ruminant, and so they are meant to be consuming a high-fiber diet, Mm. grasses.
0: Which is why they have seven stomachs
1: four chamber stomach.
0: Four. I told you <laughs> you were the expert, buddy. They have
1: technically one stomach with four chambers.
0: Oh, holy, I did not yeah. know that. Right. One stomach? One stomach, four, four chambers. chambers. That's like go. one of those lies you hear in your right. elementary school. Right. You know you swallow 15 spiders in right. you're like yeah, somebody made that up.
1: Um, and so a few little facts. A the natural, one of the big one with inflammation, you look at omegas. Um, Naturally, grass-fed, grass-finished—that's all they're consuming. Um, c- cattle will have a three-to-one ratio of omega six to omega threes, um, and you can probably step in on this. What I read was anything higher than four to one will start to lead to all those health issues that you just that you just kind of went over.
0: You know what's funny? They argue the same in humans. No. We should have a three. Or four-to-one ratio right. of omega-6 to omega-3. Right.
1: When you feed grain to a cow, it jumps to a minimum of a 20-to-one ratio That's of your omega Right away. That yes. is why red meat's not good for you, because it's that grain. Um, also, Carrie, you'd you'd said, or maybe you, Caleb, about the fat. Getting them, when we feed them grain the last 60 to 90 days, it's because they can't Get that fat content cattle aren't meant to be a fatty protein they're a lean protein naturally we've not been fed lean beef most of our life no. so it's very odd to us but just because it's odd doesn't mean that's what it naturally should be so beef is a very lean meat which is one of the things when people switch to grass-fed it doesn't taste the same and so um you, you kind of have to change your, your palate for what you are consuming um, because that that fat, which is what is um, desired in conventional beef, is the unnatural part of that beef. Good. And so it is where those health issues are coming from um, and kind of what we're happy we don't have in our grass-fed beef.
0: So you would say, coming from somebody who's had some significant health problems, if you are going to make a change in your food to try to help your health problems, probably one of the biggest things they could do is stop eating conventional red meat.
1: I And I don't know where I heard this exactly, but it was early on. It's filter your water and stop eating any product from a conventional cow. Dairy. So dairy Cheese, beef. yogurt. You know, why do we have so many issues and reactions to dairy? We don't do dairy. We have dairy from our own one cow, but we don't really promote that, you know, where we sell, but, um, dairy, do you guys want to, <laughs> that, that is a big undertaking. Well, that was a loaded question, cows. wasn't it? <laughs> we might for you, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, that's a lot, that's a lot of work too. So, but, um, grass fed dairy is so good for you. Conventional dairy is so hard on your body. And so if you can cut out one thing, in your diet, for your health. It's anything that comes from a conventional um, cow.
0: I try to argue with a lot of people to change the way that they're thinking because a lot of people will say I'm lactose intolerant. Mm -hmm. And you can watch that same person, literally have watched that same person, take a full glass of milk from a grass-fed only cow and drink it with absolutely no problems, whereas before they would have been pooping their pants for the next week. You're you're not lactose intolerant. No, no. You're poison intolerant.
1: I mean, we don't do we don't do row crops, but that's that's what the majority of gluten sensitivities are too. It's not gluten; it, it's glyphosate. Um, right. So you know, it's why you see people all the time that can't eat gluten to any extent here, then go to Europe and eat it all they want.
0: Yeah. See, this is something interesting. This is a very American problem. Is that we now have. All of these allergies so many people have intolerances and allergies and food allergies and, and especially the ones towards food it really just feels like you've been exposed to poisons and they've attached to food proteins and so you think you're allergic to this strawberry strawberries are not allergic by nature you should never be allergic to a strawberry
1: that literally happened to me with peaches you're kidding because when I started having the most massive of all my health issues, I started reacting to eating peaches. Like, you know, my throat would get itchy, my face swelled up, and I'm like, this is odd. Like almost and anaphylactic. Almost, yeah, I, I, One, I thought it was a fluke. I didn't realize it was the peach. ate it again, it got worse, and I'm like, oh, my word, that's so odd. I'm almost 30, and I develop an allergy to peaches. Well, I obviously, you know, I had a mold issue, mm-hmm. and peaches are a very high mold fruit the skins of peaches can be pretty high in mold. So your body's attacking so the So was, I was reacting and to the mold. mold that was on the peach, and I ate a peach for the first time last summer. It had been over 10 years, and I'm like, well, fingers crossed. And nothing. I was fine. Was it so, awesome? <laughs> it tasted really good.
0: <laughs> Carrie, you were about to object about yeah. the thing I was saying, or maybe add to it.
2: I was going to add, because you had said, you know, what is different. And as we start going down the regenerative journey, that's yeah. where the difference comes in.
0: And this is what I think most people will be exposed to for the very first right. time in this podcast. They're right. going to have no idea what in the world and,
2: that is. And I would say 10 years ago, I didn't know what it was. You know, when, when a farmer harvested corn and fed it, you know, ground it up and fed it to its cows, you know. I've had, because I've watched the medical side of my wife and children, had been exposed to farming, living here in Indiana my whole life, so I've seen a lot of things, heard a lot of testimonies. I remember a large dairy farmer. Um, they both have milk, but then they also raise a lot of the male dairy cows because you can't get milk from a male cow um, for for beef. Mm-hmm. And they were bailing or they were baling straw one day, and I said, well, "What are you going to do with all that straw?" So we're going to feed it to cows. I said like straws yellow, you don't feed straw to cows, you feed hay to cows. He said, no. He said, we just need the fiber because we put all of the additives, so basically all of the nutrient, the proteins. He said, we will mix grains with it. We will mix protein powders with it. We only need the straw just as a medium, as a fiber for the volume. Because the straw literally them. is
0: nutrient zero. Is
2: nutrient zero. But it had been sprayed with a desiccant. you know, just days earlier before they combined it. But anyways... So you see testimonies like that, and then you start going down. Okay, organic is void of toxins. So now we haven't put the chemicals on it. What does the regenerative side mean? Where are we starting to get those nutrient-dense things? Mm-hmm. A lot of animals, a lot of cows are fed maybe a monoculture diet or maybe a few species of a diet. Okay, we feed them a corn silage or we feed them um, alfalfa hay. hay. Okay, one or two products every single plant has a nutrient profile to it so when you start talking about regenerative what we're talking about is promoting functional systems as a whole much like nature had designed it to do and so we want to see weeds we want to see Grasses, We want to see trees growing. We want to see, you know, there's different categories, but we want to see as many diverse species as possible growing and giving our animals access to that smorgasbord. Each one of those plants has a medicinal and or nutrient um, profile to it, which then transfers into our animals. We start talking about regenerative. We start talking from the bottom up. So we're actually talking about the microbial life, the things in the dirt in the soil that we can't see, that has historically been killed by the chemicals, um, the antibiotics, the things that we would put on it in a conventional realm. So,
0: And would also be destroyed by monocropping too, correct? Absolutely. Because if Absolutely. you don't plant different things, the one crop's going to pull all correct. of the whatever out of the soil and not replenish it, and now it's
2: going to die. And there's no net with networking there where one plant may be a nitrogen fixer and the next plant may be a nitrogen consumer. Historically, we've done some crop rotation kind of a things, but we typically do that with like one to three plants and that's it. where if you come out on our farm, we can take a 25 foot you know square area and look at it, we may find 25 different species of plants and forbs and legumes and trees and things. Again, every single one of those has a different nutrient profile. Many of them have a a medicinal value then to the animal. And I always find it really interesting because some of my peers will say, hey, a cow won't eat a weed. I have always, I've been just shocked every time I'll see a cow eat a weed on one particular day and maybe not touch the weed the next day.
0: You think it's using it as medicine? Mm
2: -hmm. I think she's using it as medicine. I think that cow or that pig or that chicken has a medicinal knowledge or a nutrient knowledge that knows, hey, I need what that plant has today. Because Sometimes they'll strip the leaves off of a tree. A week later, they'll walk right past that same tree and never touch that tree. Same cow. I've seen same cow. I've seen them eat a thistle on one day. We rotationally graze our cows, so our cows are getting moved once a day, twice a day, sometimes more than that. I've moved them to thistles one day. They'll eat the thistles. The next day I move them, they won't touch the thistles. And I believe that that cow found the imbalance and she got what she needed from that thistle or that bramble or that particular grass. Um, If it's a legume, she may have needed her protein. Um, You'll see them eat different plants at different times of the day. And that's to help find that balance in their stomach. So basically they're self-medicating as long as we give them the smorgage board not a monoculture. If I only give them one plant, they can only, uh, you know, only get the nutrients from that one mm. plant. But if I give them 25 different options every given day, they're going to hunt and peck and pick the ones that they need.
0: Doesn't that make farming easier?
2: Well, it's gotten us to a point where we don't use any vaccinations, we don't use any antibiotics, we don't deworm our animals, you know. And so they're healthy. Animals are right.
0: I'm going to post some pictures of your cows when we came. They are the happiest looking cows I've ever seen.
1: Yeah, the only time we really have a vet is when we're, you know, calving. Mm-hmm. We run into a little issue. Um, but he'll say, man, I just <clears throat> don't come out here anymore. Um, because right at the beginning, you know, it's hard to shift. Um, it's hard to take oh, for sure. conventional cows over. I remember
0: eating your beef. It was probably in 2016 about right when you started it's significantly different tasting now than it is then Mm -hmm. it's dynamite now then it was more like oh you can tell this is a grass-fed thing now i mix it with your pork right to put a little fat Mm -hmm. in it make Mm -hmm. make a cheeseburger and it's Mm -hmm. as good as any cheeseburger
2: Mm -hmm. and you have to think of that again from the regenerative side as our soil has healed over the years you know when we planted let's say five species of grasses when we planted them yeah now there's been many more native grasses and weeds and forbs and things that have shown up the native seed bank is a real thing there's a lot of plants that will grow once you get the toxicity and the drug addiction out of this old conventional stuff out of the way your your ecosystem starts to thrive i've started to see plants that i'd never seen before like well, that did you that didn't come? plant I, I didn't plant that where did that mm-hmm. come from Um, So it's really neat to see those things starting to show up voluntarily because we're just allowing nature to cycle. We're starting to see the water cycle. We're starting to see, you know, all of those things cycle and have a symbiotic relationship again. Um, It's like a network, you know, the more players there are in the network, the easier the messages pass.
0: Yeah, it speaks to your point that better soil equals better nutrient in the plant, better nutrient in the plant equals better nutrient in the cow, better nutrient in the cow tastes better exactly. than anything else. Exactly. And it's just like just like sourdough, right? The the first day you make sourdough might taste different than maybe if you kept that starter mm-hmm. and you're on 6 years later on the same starter, it all comes back to the microbiome of the soil or the microbiome of the bread or the whatever. Right. It's That's how many Bacteria, viruses, parasites live in this soil symbiotically together.
2: We recently had a customer tell us that our beef liver was the least liverish tasting beef he had ever liver he had ever eaten, and we talked that through a little bit because another customer who was just getting introduced to livers like, look, I can't do liver, and I said, well, give it a chance. Because there's a very good likelihood the only liver or a detox organ you'd ever been exposed to was a conventional beef
0: liver. Yeah, not really thought about that.
2: Which would have very likely had a very heavy toxic load its entire life. It's
0: going to taste pretty different.
2: We're eating an animal that's never had an antibiotic. It's never had a hormone. It's never had a Green. vaccine. It's never had grain. It's never had any of those things its entire life. It also
0: has... Your cows look happy, like run around and play. And
1: well, and stress is a huge thing too. It
0: they're mammals; they experience stress.
1: And and I can't remember which one of you did told we're talking about the the study that was done on the stress of the animal and the people consuming it, developing the same. Anxiety or depression that the animal.
0: Yeah, you get the same catecholamines from the adrenal right. glands from that animal. That was and, Carrie when okay, we were talking about. Well, we've talked was. about this for a while, like people who shoot deer Yes. Mm-hmm. and the stress of that going through an animal. Now, butchering an animal is always going to be somewhat stressful. But so, I mean, you're even, have even that.
1: to that, we, you know, when we butcher, they, you know, you can bring them in the night before mm. and we won't. We'll be the last the last, um, Our last. So your day cows day. don't Stop, spend the night at the butcher shop. Because they're not night. It's the we're talking minutes to go from eating in the field to um, now.
2: We switched processors know. a while back because they wanted the animals in the night before. And I said, no, I won't do that. I said, in fact, I want to be the last animal to arrive the next day. And the last butchering we did, I timed it. And it was 36 minutes from the moment the animal stepped onto the trailer to the to that
0: happened. Mm-hmm. Expire. expire expire yeah <laughs> sweating all the way there <laughs> <laughs> you know, so
1: it, it. i in that i think that that impacts the taste profile of meat as well
0: well this gets to a point that i had um i'd listened to an, or watched an episode of chef's table i don't know if you've ever watched that show mm-hmm. but it was on a, a farm in blue hill new york and this, their whole concept was b- better ingredients equals better food. Mm-hmm. And the, one of the interviews in, the, in there said that younger people, people my age and younger and your age, they're starting to get that eating is an ethical act. Mm-hmm. And if you really truly believe that, if you really want to care for the environment, you want to care for your family members, your feeding food, or you want to care for yourself – the ethics of how the animal is raised, how the animal is butchered, actually matters. The ethics of what they eat matters. And if you can find the highest, most superior form of ethics in your food, it will generate the most nutritious, most best tasting, and the most health opportunity. Absolutely true. And, and the generation below me is starting to understand that at a much younger age than it took
1: us. Right. <laughs> 20 years in. Yeah. Um, well, and I think I think um, a farmer who has that much concern about the ethics of the life of the animal is going to have equal concerns than to the nutrition or the toxic load. Well, um, of course. And so I think they all they all kind of go hand in hand, and that's why um, you do have such a superior product, it, even if the concern is ethics, obviously, we're highly concerned with ethics. Um, it, it's a struggle at times um, because, you know, you're not just raising a 100 pets. And so, um, <laughs> you know. I think um, I said eating actually, is an ethical yeah. act.
0: I, I like the phrase. You would probably say there's a right way and a wrong way <laughs> to do something. Just do it the right,
1: right. way. Right. Um but obviously, that concern overflows into, you know, what we're doing with the land they're on and, yeah. um, you know, so many other aspects, which just, I think, overall make make it a, a healthier um, version of what might be out there elsewhere.
2: And our journey, our journey, I find it maybe unique. I don't know. It's interesting to me, but I will say with knowledge comes responsibility and I'm one of six children who you ate what was put in front of you. Yep. there was typically enough for all of us, but gave no thought whatsoever to what we ate. Many of my nieces and nephews eat what's put in front of them, and their parents may or may not give much thought to what they eat. But as a dad, I watched the health issues of my wife and my children, and I started to then educate myself about this farming process, and it Travels all the way through, there's a thread woven all the way through from, hey, how do I create healthy soil to create a healthy plant, to create a healthy pig, chicken, you know, to then help create a healthy human. And as you learn those things, as Real Shell said, you know what, a farmer who might be worried about humane treatment of the animal should also care about, you know, humane or ethical treatment of your land. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's true, but economically, sometimes those things are hard to We say, no, your farmer, understand that your farmer, what is your farmer implementing? What are they really doing? Because every single one of those steps, if I let the cow eat a grass too short and the grass gets heat stressed, that affects the cow. You're like, well, wait a minute, that's the grass, not the cow. It's all of those things. The heat stress affects the microbial life, affects the nutrient cycle. So it affects the crop next year. Affects next year's crop, so it's all got to be a big picture. And do we make mistakes? Absolutely. You know what? But I like to say, and I like to think that you know what, my farm's better today than it was yesterday, and the same is true every day. Oh, I hundred percent starting to see things. I'm like, wow, I never saw that before. It it didn't regrow that fast last time,
0: right? And this is from a guy. I watched you from the beginning, right? So I saw your. Old, the 40-acre farm, your farm is definitely better today than it was the year before. I would bet your meat's going to be even better next year. And a labor of love. <laughs>
2: a <laughs> lot of mistakes.
0: What's the biggest one you made?
2: Um, trying to catch a pig when they don't want to be caught can be extremely <laughs> stressful. So make sure you have quality fences that you can contain an animal if needed. <laughs> we don't contain ours very often, but when it's time to contain them, Can get a little stressful. Make sure the (laughs)
0: fence is sturdy.
2: Yeah.
0: We'll put that on your t shirt. Uh, Did you get everything you wanted to in toxicity and nutritious? I think you guys
2: nailed it. Yeah. I mean, I I think it's a great start. It
0: It is. So, talk for
2: hours and there's so much and so many tangents that you go down. There are. Every one of the topics have
1: have their own.
0: So, I'll give a little precursor into why I'm actually having you guys on here. So part of the problem that we have at our office is people who are unhealthy, chronically unhealthy, and constantly trying to find solutions for them. You guys were one of them. And thankfully, you found solutions that I'm going to now probably steal and give Mm -hmm. to my patients, which is kind of a cool full full circle. Um, We in this room are trying to solve a gigantic problem it's a problem that we won't solve in our lifetime but if you're not thinking about problems that can be solved in your lifetime you're not thinking big enough Mm -hmm. this is a problem that i expect my son and your son and daughters to continue to try to solve and so in the next year in 2023 we have partnered with another organic farm that grows produce Mm -hmm. and our plan is to bring Food to our patients. People who are our patients will have the opportunity to buy better than organic or beyond right. organic food. Mm-hmm. And same with your guys's meat. Yeah. So this year, you guys are butchering when? Um, we are butchering. Sorry, Carrie. Into the microphone.
2: We are butchering um, predominantly in October, November. Most all of our butchering. Beef will be in October and November. pork. Beef and pork. Beef and pork. Mm-hmm. Yep. Do you guys offer meat
0: chickens?
1: We do. We do those more um, kind of pre-order basis on a pre-order basis. So
2: So um, I
0: could go order chicken from you tomorrow. Yes.
1: If you, you know, we it takes about twelve weeks, and so um, to raise them, we just did a batch um, primarily for ourselves. But yeah, we can. That's not one we're just doing yet. Okay. Around the clock.
0: So we're gonna offer. We're gonna send an email out to my patients those who were kind enough to give us emails. Mm-hmm. We've never done this before. We've never sent out a blast email. I'm going to send out an email and say, hey, Lone Tree Farms is butchering. It's going to be first come, first serve. You can buy a quarter to a whole. Is that how you sell it?
1: Typically, we do quarter, half, and whole for beef. We can go as small as an eighth. Um, and then um, for pigs, it's usually a half or a whole hog. Okay, um, you know, For a family... Uh, You know, a four or five, you know, two adults, two to three kids, um, a quarter beef is typically, you know, enough to last a year. A half to a whole hog would be enough to last a year. I know a lot of people aren't used to eating pork regularly. It is pasture-raised organic pork is really, really good for you. So Mm. um, it's great to get into the habit of eating that. And
0: people need to start... Getting okay with the idea of buying things in bulk, right? We need a freezer. You need to to purchase some things in bulk. One thing that the last year's taught us is that holy smokes, meat prices right are Absolutely. as volatile as anything else. Absolutely. And your and
1: availability and,
0: and availability. So if you go in and buy half a cow with another family, and it costs you a thousand dollars to buy this cow, that is all of the meat that you could need for almost the entire year to feed your family. Mm-hmm. That you would have spent anyways you just spent it up front and kept it in a freezer right and so and i
1: i did that breakdown i think i told you you which i think was a little surprising even a little to myself um but for a family of four to five if you had a quarter cow a whole hog and 24 whole chickens um which for the most part could be nearly all your protein for a year for an entire year um it comes out to about $48 a week. Mm-hmm.
0: Which people are probably already doing. Which... I guarantee you they're doing.
1: Most people are spending, you know, if you, you don't have that, to buy any protein in your grocery budget anymore. I imagine you're probably spending close to that on a weekly basis for protein. Easy. What we've found, I know
2: we've found it with our family. Um, and I think if you're honest with yourself, if you look at your grocery budget, some of the... Meat products that you're purchasing aren't quality products. Maybe have a lot of fillers, maybe whatever. As you start buying a more quality nutrient-dense protein. Don't eat as much. You don't, don't eat, eat as, as much.
1: much. Your kids don't your eat as much. Children don't
2: snack as much. You, know, you realize your portions don't need to be eight ounces. They're six ounces. That'd they're four great. ounces.
0: Can you get Nova to eat more meat, please? <laughs> <laughs> She's a snackaholic.
1: <laughs> Our kids do not snack. Not because I don't let them. They're they're not hungry between meals. And so we just, we are not a snack family anymore. So
0: you're arguing better nutrient equals satiation. You you will be.
1: Absolutely.
0: You're not. Man, how much of a solution that would be for a lot of people. Think about overweight. Are you struggling with overweight? Buy good food. Buy healthy nutrient density. That is a novel idea.
2: Mm -hmm. Your your body just seems to be fulfilled and and i think that has to do with as that nutrient density and diversification so you're eating a chicken you're eating a pig you're eating you know pork beef fish whatever you know you're it's the whole nose to tail concept you know yeah we're not just eating a boneless you know chicken breast anymore i'm starting to eat bone broth i'm starting to eat cow liver i'm starting to eat Poor cock in a, in a ham and beans application.
0: Yeah, get the bones and eat the bone marrow.
2: We've got to right. eat all of those things to get the, the nutrient diversity out of this whole animal. That starts satisfying your body. And then once you do that over a period of time, I I am confident. Yes, you eat less because you're satisfied.
1: Well, it's just... Our body is the same as the soil, just how Carrie said earlier, soil is addicted to all the fertilizers mm-hmm. and pesticides. Our body is addicted to all of that processed food. And so you definitely go through a process of, of, you know, breaking that addiction, but once you do, you don't crave it. You know, Our, our kids were, were pretty standard American diet. They were young, but, um, you know, before we kind of shifted fully, and it was a little bit of a process, but they don't crave any of that. Yeah, you don't. It's not like I can never, you know, stop my kid from eating this. You can. Wasn't it
0: like just two years ago, two or three years ago, where your daughters got a whole bunch of Halloween candy and then just threw it away?
1: We don't. Yeah, they 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 did the trick or treat treating. They throw we, their candy. Away. We usually let them, you know, pick out you know ten pieces or something, and even that they don't even finish you it. You know, at it, Easter it's still there, and then in the summer it's still there, and then we just throw it away. <laughs> No, you don't crave you don't crave that sugar. We're such we're so addicted to sugar. All I mean that we can go into all that health aspect, but um, yeah, this nutrition it really it just kind of kills all of that.
0: Well, Carrie, you don't know this, but that's because like you're the farmer. But there's actually biochemical physiological pathways doing exactly what you're talking about. So if I have nutrients that hit my stomach, they actually send hormones to your body that tells your brain, I've had enough. And if you actually have nutrients in the food, you'll get there faster. Mm -hmm. This is part of the problem with the standard American diet is that it's super high in vegetable oils and fats that really don't satiate anything, but they generate a whole bunch of that inflammatory issue, and they fill your stomach almost nothing. And so you will eat and eat and eat, snack and snack and snack, and overeat, and you get fatter, and you get more inflamed, and you never actually get you don't ever actually get full and you don't ever actually get nutrients to heal your body or do any biomechanical, anything that needs to happen.
1: It's the same with going, you know, eating a ton of vegetables to yeah. be quote unquote healthy or lose weight. It's the same, same concept there. You know, our body needs healthy proteins and healthy fats. And so, um, that's
0: a lot of people. They, I think a lot of people try to lose weight that way like oh well i'm just going to eat all of these vegetables mm-hmm. and
1: it's, vegetables are so hard for our body to digest yeah. i think it's one of the one of know, the most difficult it, it, and it's one of the the you know myths that's been played on us you know by mainstream health is just consume all these vegetables and you know villainizing healthy proteins and healthy fats and we we've, we've got to get those back into our diet yeah. i
2: think but, the healthy proteins are essential i remember a client you sent to us Mm-hmm. and her testimony basically was Caleb said that his medical you know his supplements his medical practices can't help me if i have no fuel no nutrition in my she body She couldn't do it she, was, she
0: just she was at a zero on yeah. on the gas chamber yeah.
2: So all, all all of the medical stuff you could throw at her you know her car had no fuel so she had no forward movement and just yesterday, or the day before, she posted eating a steak for like the first time in four years. And yeah. it's like, wow, you know what a what a journey. I mean, I, I was I was just smiling.
0: It is very true in the way that, like, you talk about the nutrient and the diversity of plants in your um, field. Fields. From my experience treating thousands of people with these kind of health issues, the people who are the most healthy are the ones that eat the largest diet. It's not the ones that have gone, right. oh, I don't eat any of that. They've right. restricted everything. Right. Those are typically my least healthy people. It's the ones that are eating, are able to eat mm-hmm. the largest and the most colorful kinds of foods.
2: Mm-hmm. I think there's more, said, more to that than, than we know. You know. The diversity of diet that we had 50 years ago you know the weird things my grandma would put on a table and we would be like what is that thing yeah. you know but every single one of those things and, and 50 years ago it had a completely different nutrient profile than what it did today right but we may have eaten 50 different things in a month rather than five things in a month today you know people have no you know no creativity or diversity of diet you know it's chicken taco tuesday every tuesday <laughs>
0: That's part of what we're trying to solve. So you know this too, but you're, you're not a vegetable farmer, but really how we should eat vegetables is what grows in season. That's right. So yep. what grows is what you get to eat. And our hope for with this farm, I'll just give everybody the big sneak peek. Our hope with this farm is to be able to send our patients who want to subscribe to this food, a box of food a week or a box every two week that has your guys' meat, chicken, whatever they would sign up for, and produce that is in season, and here you go. Let's make this as simple as possible. You eat this box of food this week. And that that's what we're trying to solve with this. And you guys are a gigantic part of it because you're probably the biggest part of it because, like you said, the protein is probably the most important piece of food on your plate because mm-hmm. you are a big, giant pile of proteins.
1: And it, yeah, I think it's, it's a shift back to um, – a mindset that we've lost just because of how important it is. So from both of those aspects, from eating seasonally to adding protein, healthy protein back in our diet um, in a variety, you know, just not, yeah, ground beef and boneless, skinless chicken breasts. Yeah.
0: And this is, you're right. This is a reawakening and it has to start with farmers. Farmers have lost something. Yes. Why in the world is every farmer that we see farming, farming, 50,000 acres of the same thing and just spraying the crap out of it. We are on a, we are in a reawakening of farmers and you guys get to be at the tip of the spear of that.
1: And I think it's a lot of young people that don't come from a farming background who are like you said, the young people who are becoming passionate about ethical farming. Um, But it's really that break away, you know, from a big ag mentality. And I think what, you know, I just want to beg of people is to realize Um, small agriculture is a lot of difficult work and it's not near as profitable as big ag. That's why everybody has 50,000 acres because that's how you make money. And so, you know, willing to support these small farmers who are really trying to make a difference because it's very difficult. It's very difficult to make the shift because it's years where the land doesn't produce a lot and it's a lot to get through and survive and so um you know realize that you're i don't even know what ground beef is but 99 cent a pound or 3.99 a pound ground beef yeah we can't produce it at that rate that's big ag and right. so you know being at, that's a that's cow with, weight plastic right and so to to know that
0: um a cow weight plastic and <laughs> who never saw the daylight right they
1: correct yeah, Never saw the daylight. Never saw a blade of grass. Oh, never, never ran, them, never
2: jumped, jumped. on no, dirt. They, they can't you know, move. They don't Cement their entire life. You know, it just. You know, when, when you jump into most of us small farmers are not eligible for the crop subsidies for the crop insurances. So these large. Yeah, guys so when we have, have a drought this summer, <laughs> <laughs> and you know our
1: pastures are dead by the beginning of July. We don't use GMO There's seeds in anything. Not
2: that we're growing row crops, but we, know, we don't out. have we don't have the seed producer guaranteeing that it's going to do something, and then the crop insurance produce you know covering it if it doesn't do it. We, you, you're you're back to old school farming. If it doesn't grow, you sell them, or you know you, you just you, it's the real struggle. And so that's exciting, um, you know. You but you also lean heavy on your customer base that they're going to be there. Yeah going to be there to support you because the farmers will the farmers will mold their practices to what their consumers will support and so we, we really you know we really hope that our consumers will get behind this and realize that you know what we are passionate 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 about the quality of the protein we're providing
0: well, that's what i'm expecting of my patient base where it's like all right i they need to put some skin in the game mm-hmm. where you say you want to be healthy, great. You got to support a health food. You want you say you want to be healthy. You gotta you gotta go support a farmer. Mm-hmm. You gotta pay more than the cheapest of the cheap for your food. Mm-hmm. And your guys' food, if you buy it in bulk, is not that expensive.
1: Oh, well, yeah. It, it, it like we'd said. You it's know, expensive,
0: it's, but everything. It, it's only expensive one time. Like it's you're at what you you give me a cost breakdown. And you said if you go to anybody down the road, there were only two people that were cheaper than you and cheaper than you by like 50 cents a pound. Right.
1: When you look at other like local small farms that don't necessarily, some of them don't even claim, you know, to be regenerative or grass fed. Um, you know, just a, a farm.
0: Just like a farm. Raising, raising a cow. fed beef. Feeding them. Right. Corn on the cob. Right. Yeah. GMO corn on the cob. And you guys are... Total you're your 1060
1: a pound. Um, I think our beef it 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 averages because how we do it now, still you you pick your cuts, and so mm. um, so if you want you know, nice depending cut. on you know what type of cuts, you know, we range between you know 1050 and 1085 a pound. Um, you know, people often
2: lose track of that though. That's for often, like you know, a t bone a demonica. I know people think things. that you're talking ground beef, right? You know, Only cuts that. Are 20 30 forty dollars a pound in some cases if that you go to the you store. just typically never buy them because well, you can't afford
1: them yeah right. you
2: don't get the nutrients from them but when we say hey you know what it's going to be 10 60 10 85 a pound across the board that's for a t-bone steak that's for ribs that's for a delmonico steak yes that is for ground beef as well but if That's you do only about 50
1: percent of of what your, you're getting what you when you, you, you buy take home is ground beef the other 50 percent you know roast steaks
0: I can attest to that. Um, i got a full freezer right now.
1: <laughs> and, you know, and I have to say, before all this, I was a very picky eater. And when we have an entire cow or entire hog, it has stretched me to just take a cut of meat. And I've never eaten this before. And we figure it out. And some of those are the f- favorites of the family. Mm-hmm. and And you just never realized it because we never would buy that.
0: And we didn't really get into this because I don't really want to. Oh, I do. I do want to shame some people. You have to make it a priority. You can't have, you can't go keep your grocery budget the exact same and then all of a sudden go up a level in quality of meat and and in price and expect to still eat Oreos, pop, snacks, go out to eat three times a week. You have to make this a priority. If you're going to make your health a priority, you have to make, Food a priority.
1: Yes. And that's my, my biggest, yeah, I guess, uh, thing I get agitated with as well is people want to buy their normal food and, and add this. this to it. Can't do it. Well, no, that's silly. <laughs> I mean, I'm, to me, I'm like, that's just silly. Because you're right. Why are we buying all these convenient snack foods, the Oreos, you know, all this processed food, and then you're spending this much money on really healthy proteins? That, that That's a, a waste to me. Make the, and you don't have to make a change 100%, but One item you, a you have to, I to me, is dedicate yourself to, yeah, change how you eat. Yeah. And it's not all the time. You know, we go to Culver's, so it's not like this is 100% and you're never going to enjoy food. First of all, we enjoy our food. It's really, really good. But right. it, we eat junk food too. It's just not every single day, every single meal.
0: What was interesting about that, Rochelle, I, did, I wasn't even planning on asking you that. You couldn't have done that years ago. No. You couldn't eat right. Culver's. No, no. We, we had You were years, destroyed if you ate Culver's.
1: We had years where it was 100% a, you know, XYZ diet. You know, Clean never, only. Never eat this. And so um, your body, if you have a healthy body, you should be able to, you know, go out to eat and not be miserable for days or weeks afterwards.
0: So you regenerative farmed your own microbiome. Right. With and this food. Bingo. And now you can enjoy Culver's without being right. destroyed.
2: Are very resilient, as long as you expose it to toxins in a very short time frame. It Be- because it's inevitable, really
0: well. it right? It is it's
1: inevitable. inevitable. We live in a highly you toxic world.
2: You need to live life. You need to go out to eat sometimes. You need to have birthday cake. You need to, You need to live life. So if 95% of your life is clean and 5% is an indulgence of some sort, your body will rebound and respond very well. But if it's in reverse and you're carrying a 60%, 80% toxic load all the time, you're just going to feel like sludge, and the medical things will will win.
0: And that person needs to go through a period of time like you did where I'm 100% of the time avoiding this garbage food until I can get to the point where I can tolerate it.
1: And I think even that level took a while to get there. We, Carrie and I especially, we didn't have kids for 10 years, and we were just making the comment, you remember when we ate out like at least five days a week? It was just the two of us for a decade. We ate, processed everything. (laughs) That is a hard shift. Mm -hmm. And so even for us, it would be one food item at a time until you get far enough along that you're just like, okay, let's rip this Band-Aid off. Then we'd go in a hundred percent, a very strict diet for, you know, for me it was a number of years just out of necessity, um, and then you kind of ease back into those, you know, occasions where, you know, we eat junk again. But it it wasn't rip the bandaid off right when we decided it. Most of our diets are are too standard American. That's a very hard thing to do, right? Especially with kids. I, have, um,
2: I see kind of a. A three generation thing because I have this discussion with my parents and my in-laws and in that you know what hey we're 70 plus years old we don't have the health problems that you 30 40 50 year olds have why is that And Rochelle said a little bit ago when we changed the organic diet we saw it really quickly in the kids I think it has to do with the toxic load our bodies have had our children at five six years old had not eaten very much toxic food for very many years shell and i at 30 40 years old had only our entire life eaten mm-hmm. toxic food my in-laws or my parents at 75 years old you know what honestly they had probably eaten a much higher quality food for the bulk of their life especially
0: when they were young
2: when they were young the food was better you know we didn't have the processed food and and they weren't 50s, born with the
1: problems that kids are born yeah. with today. My kids started off with a slew started of problems, problems the day they were born. So,
2: so I really think it has to do with, you know, we see that across the generations. And
0: it's probably one of the reasons why America has the most unhealthy children. Mm-hmm. And it's one of my most infuriating things is that we're looking at like 34th, 35th rank. Right. And in industrialized world. nations right. Right. of health and children. Mm-hmm. And you're like, something's fishy here.
1: Well, and I think it's a testament. I One thing that always makes me think of, just because it's common doesn't make it normal, and that's yeah. in kids. We've normalized so many chronic things just because everyone has Yeah, them. allergies is normal. Normal, no. Asthma is normal. Right. It, uh, uh, um, and food isn't the only thing with that toxic load in kids, but it does make an enormous impact.
0: Yeah, it has to, right? It's the thing you do the most often. Right. Eat.
1: Eat. Um, And, you know, when we talk on kind of the toxic bucket, food is huge. But I think once you kind of step into that, to know that there's so many other easier changes for me than food that really lessens your toxic load. um, You know, like cleaning products, beauty products.
0: That was easier for you?
1: Oh, much easier. Um, I enjoy eating. And so, but when you kind of step into that world, kind of like, oh, don't just change your meat if you're going to eat all the processed food. To me, if you're going to address your fu- food, you really need to look at your whole your whole life. <laughs> and so, beauty products, cleaning products, um, all of that, to me, that's easier. Just switch them out. Mm. It, it'll cost a little money, so you can do that over time, but it's not, I don't know, impacting you emotionally. <laughs> <laughs> <Even>. <laughs>
0: Yeah, unless you're weirdly
1: attached to your cleaners. Clorox, you know, my (laughs) mom loves Clorox.
0: So where can we find you? Lone Tree Farms, is that, Mm -hmm. do you have a website? Is that only on Facebook or what do you do?
2: Yeah, well, we're launching a website here in the very near future. Probably this week. Probably next week. Um, On Facebook, you can find us at Lone Tree Farms. Farms is plural. Um,
0: What's your website going to be?
2: Um, The website is going to be?
1: Yep, LLC.com. Sweet. And then Instagram, LoneTree.Farms, probably where we're the most active.
0: And for my patients, we're going to be sending out a newsletter about your next butchering cycle. How many cattle do you have?
1: We're super excited to, you know, yeah, kind of um, branching out with you guys. And so this fall is probably only about 12 cows, but the next year, 2023, we're looking at 30-plus cows head of cattle, um, um, pork is kind of on demand as well. We have mm-hmm. 20, um, 20 pigs going to be butchered this fall. So um, I, a, a good little amount of, of beef and pork that are available. And then next year, you know, about triple that amount. So
0: yeah. I have a goal we're next year. I want to yeah. feed a thousand people yeah, next that, year. We'll
1: that, that would be awesome. Customers. Yeah, I, we're That
0: can include family members, but mm-hmm. I, I want to feed a thousand people next year mm-hmm. using you. And you talked about the age. Uh, sorry, I want to throw this in there. Carrie. you're how old? I'm 46. 46. The farmer we hired, he's just now getting in. He's 22, 21. Do you know the average age of the American farmer right now?
2: 70. 70? It's
0: over retirement yeah. age. You're right. in the 70s as your average right. age farmer. We're screwed. We are. <laughs> if we don't <laughs> we figure this problem out. Yeah.
1: We are.
2: We're about to lose. Be at a tainted knowledge base. We're about ready to lose a knowledge base that skill set that may be irreplaceable if if not a bunch of young guys who don't step up to the plate.
0: Right. And And, you guys are one
1: of them. And I think with this, you know, you trying to reach out like this, I think like you said earlier, trying to teach our kids a different way than how we grew up Mm -hmm. is how we're going to slowly shift this. You know, having it to be normal to eat this way is going to be what will slowly help to shift it.
0: Yeah, it's going to take a few generations. It it's going is. to be your kids teaching their kids. But I
1: love that our kids, you know, all of our kids are growing They've up. Got it. And this is a normal way of life to them. It's awesome. Mm-hmm.
2: Thank you for yeah. coming on. Thank you. Thank you. We're excited.